Good morning. It is so good to see all of you. Uh, I am impressed with these young people down here learning sign language. Our daughter learned sign language and she loved it dearly and uh, used it for many years and still, you know, something you got to use or you'll lose a little bit of it, but she still um, loves and enjoys doing it. It's great that you're doing it, young people. Um, Keep it up. This lady will teach you much. I'd like for her to do the sign for baptism. Would you do that for us? Wow, you see that? No sprinkling, no pouring. And so that's, that's a good thing. Pastor Brent, I'm looking for you. Oh, okay. Thank you for inviting us to come. Um, there, are, there are people that God puts in your life that becomes a greater help to you than what they even think. And Pastor Brent was that, uh, the 12 years we worked together. I, I, I never said that the staff worked for me or that the church was my church. I would never use those words. We worked together. I worked with them and they worked with me uh, because it's the, it's the Lord's work. And uh, he taught me and uh, you'll find that Pastor Brent and Kelly, you've already found this out. They will love you unconditionally. And they will be there for you. They would be even willing to sacrifice on your behalf. And they probably already have and will. God has called him to be a pastor. I ask for him if he would stay and continue working with us on staff because I knew in his heart that he wanted, but I didn't want to hold on to him too long. But I sure am glad that he stayed the whole time <laughs> because um, there was many, many times that we laughed together, that we prayed together. We had weekly staff meetings and then we'd have to have uh, uh, emergency staff meetings. Uh, and we cried together, and we visited together, had to make some very hard calls uh, together. I want to tell you about one of them because you'll appreciate this, Pastor Brent. I know you do not know the Smith family, but Greg Smith taught school for us for well over 20 years. And um, <clears throat> Greg, we noticed Greg was having trouble with his energy level in the classroom. And Pastor Brent came to me and said, you know, he's, he's just tired, he's out of breath, he's really struggling. And so we decided, after praying about it and thinking it through, that we would ask him to retire early um, because we saw something wasn't right. And I remember the day we called him into my study and we, you got to remember, Pastor Brent grew up in our church. He, he retired teachers that taught him. <laughs> and, uh, and we told Greg, Greg, we just, we see you struggling with energy and, and being able to really function for the time at school. And, and uh, he said, and we said we would like for you to retire early. He was not 65 yet. And, uh, and he says, well, I wasn't planning on doing that. And, uh, but he says, uh, I will. And we encouraged him to go to the doctor. Uh, and he did. And they found out that, that Greg had a, a lung disease he inherited from his mother. And he uh, became a candidate for a double lung transplant. And five years ago, he had that transplant. And um, <clears throat> I remember well. Well, his brother passed away with that same disease this week, Bill did. I didn't know whether you knew that or not. He passed away with the same disease. He got it late. Uh, he was a cancer survivor. He wasn't a candidate for, for the lung transplant. And uh, Bill passed away. So before Bill passed, I called Greg. I said, Greg, uh, I served with Eric Miller on his board and uh, with Advance America. And he worked for Eric. And I said... Um, Greg, I just want you to know, I saw Bill last week at our board meeting, and, 
And uh, I want you to know that I'm praying for him. And we chatted and everything. And then here's what Greg said to me. He says, you know, he says, Pastor, when you and Pastor Brent set me down and asked me to retire early, he says, in my heart, I struggled with that. But had you not made that decision, I would have not gone to the doctor in time for the disease that I have to even be a recipient. And he said, you asking us to retire early bothered me. But he said, it saved my life. It saved my life. So sometimes pastors have to make hard calls. Don't fault them just from your viewpoint. Let God work. And Greg said to me, he says, I realized that God had led you and Pastor Brent, you to be my pastor and Pastor Brent to be my boss. And he says, my responsibility was to submit and not, not talk bad about it or evil about it. So I say all that to say, I'm a pastor at heart. And so I'm always teaching. Uh, I enjoy doing it. And uh, I am thankful for the time that Pastor Brent and I had. And, and um, we might release a few tales about Pastor Brent along the way this week. So uh, we'll see how, how that goes. All right, take your Bibles, if you would, please, and find Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture, but I want us to take a fresh look at it. Now, while you're finding your place, I want to pose two questions to you. The first question is, if you and I knew each other well enough to where we could sit down together at a table, and I look you in the eye, and you look me in the eye, and I would say, what need do you have? What's the most pressing need that you have right now? If I would ask you that question, I want you to think about it in your mind. What would it be? I'm talking about your life. This is real life here. What would be that need? I want it to come to the surface of your mind. I want you to get it in your mental mill. Because I want to deal with a passage of Scripture that assures you that if we obey this passage of Scripture, God will meet your need. If I would go over to Pastor Brent's house this week and set him down at the table and say, Pastor Brent... What is the greatest need for Berean Baptist Church right now? He would articulate to me what he felt like the greatest need would be. That would come to the surface of his mind. Now the reason I ask these questions is because I want to deal very practically from a passage of scripture that gives us this promise. We are the church. And by the way, this is a full church. I don't know what you're planning on doing in the near future, but you better be thinking about it. And that's a good thing. Uh, <clears throat> this church has needs. You have needs. Now, I'm a literalist when it comes to the Bible. I, I, I look at the Bible normally and literally. And I believe every word of it. And I know you do too. I know you're well taught. And so we're going to deal with a familiar promise, but I'm going to tell you, I want it to captivate your thinking because it changes the way we pray. It will change the way we look at missions. It's going to change a lot of things in your mind. It's a foundational message for the rest of the messages this week to be built on top of this message. And so today I would like to talk about God's promise to the mission-minded church. You are the church. The church isn't brick and mortar and pews and carpet. I'm glad you're getting new stuff. That's always good. You are the church. And so you get your need met. The church gets their need met based on the truths of this passage of Scripture. Now, the key that unlocks it all, of course, is in verse 19. So let's look at the key first, all right? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let me talk to you a little bit, first of all, about the church at Philippi. Philippi was the first church that Paul started on his second missionary journey. You will remember in the book of Acts, he was in Troas. His intentions were to turn back 
northeast and go into Galatia. But God interrupted that whole vision that Paul had to go into Galatia and gave him a fresh vision. And you remember that vision when he looked in his dream and saw a man over in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so Paul was in consternation. Not that he did not want to go over. He was ready to do that, and he did. But there's something going on in Paul's heart that we don't read in Acts chapter 16. And that is he was in Troas to receive a report from Titus who had been at Corinth after Paul had sent his first epistle to them. Now, if you ever read the New Testament, read the book of 1 Corinthians, it is filled full of corrections. It was a very hard epistle. It called the church to repentance over their sins. It was very hard. Paul loved people. And even though Paul loved people, he didn't allow love to remove the truth of God's word. He stayed true to God's word. But he did love the people and he did care about how they had received the letter. And Titus was bringing him that report. And he was waiting in Troas and he was preaching the gospel and people were being saved. But Titus did not show up. Now that goes to what I want to put in your mental meal also, that there are burdens that missionaries take on that you do not see, that we do not see. Men of God, they carry, they carry burdens. They are concerned. It's, it wasn't all peaches and cream going to a city and starting a church. We read about it now and we say, praise the Lord, look at the power of the gospel. It cost some of his team members their life eventually, including Paul. So he carried burdens. He was ran out of town, stoned, given up for dead, shipwrecked. And so the man of God goes through a, a, lot, of, a lot of emotional stress. And Paul was not above that. He, he was not above God putting on his heart, how are these people going to receive my letter and will they repent? He was concerned about that. So by the time Paul realized that Titus wasn't coming, he decided it would be better to obey God than to wait. Because see, if you, if you know the geography, he would have to come out of Greece up through the boot of Italy, what I call the boot of Italy, and come back down. So Paul said, we're going to obey the Lord. So they left Troas and they sailed across the Aegean Sea. And they got to Philippi, and they started this church down by the river. And God was doing some great things. Now, but by the time Paul had gotten there, Philippi was, was rich with gold during that time. And the Romans seized it, of course. And, and Paul realized that the Romans, they were exploiting innocent people, they got there and there was a damsel there that they were using, uh, her being demon-filled, uh, and they exploited her. Uh, and all of a sudden they realized that their hope, the Bible says that their hope for their gain was gone. And so the religious leaders uh, threw Paul and Silas in jail. Of course, we know the earthquake came and then we know that they went home with the jailer, and the jailer got saved. Isn't it amazing what God does to multiply the gospel? It's, it's amazing. And sometimes it takes a tragedy to see that happen. But even in the tragedy, God has good for it. We saw that in our mission board, Baptist World, saw that in Cameroon, where you were, Brother Nick, um, in the taking of one of our missionaries recently as a martyr being shot to death by the radical political party. So the Philippian jailer gets saved. They go on to complete their second missionary journey. God did some great things. And now in real time, if we 
threw ourselves back in real time. Paul is writing this epistle 12 years later, and he's writing it from a Roman prison. So a lot of things that we have in the book of Philippians, we have at the expense of Paul and his great encouragement to this church. I love the book of Philippians. Paul loved these people. And he brought out in this epistle all the things that they did right. All the things that they did to open the door of God's blessings to their lives as individuals and collectively as a church family. And when you read the book of Philippians, we all know that, that joy is the theme of the book. And we, that word comes up over and over again. But if you had sat down and read it in, in, in another setting and read it all the way through, all four chapters, you'll see that the heart of the book is their missionary journey. If you had sat down and read it through again, you would see that their love for each other is the spirit of the book. And if you sat down and read it through a fourth time, you would see that unity was the blessing of the book. I came to realize as a pastor after 42 plus years that no church will reach its full potential without developing unity. It's critical. If Berean will reach its full potential, unity will be at its roots. So what did Paul say about unity? Well, I have time to show you. I've got till noon. I've got time to show you before I get to my sermon. (laughs) Because I want you to see this from the Bible. All right. Turn with me. Keep your finger there or your marker there or that $100 bill you're going to put in the offering tonight. Mark that chapter four and go to chapter one. Here's what I call Paul's expectation for unity for the local church. Look at the B part of chapter 1 verse 27. That you stand fast, he's speaking to the church, in one spirit. Watch it carefully now. And with one mind. Do you see the unity there? Striving together. Now what's the big, what's the big picture? What are we striving for? Look at it there. For the faith of the gospel. So here we find Paul's expectation of unity. He expected the church to be in unity of one mind, of one spirit, all for the purpose of striving for the faith of the gospel. Now go to chapter 2. Let me show you this one. This is Paul's anticipation of unity. Look at verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, there's the theme of the book, That you be like-minded, that's the unity of the book. Having the same love, that's the love found in the book. Being of one accord, of one mind. Unity, unity. Let nothing be done, here's the postscript. Paul says, you know, I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to turn this prism just a little bit more and I'm going to let some more truth come through. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Look at verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So now he gives his anticipation, his prescription. And then in chapter 3, verse 15, if you'll turn there with me, allow me to show you that Paul illustrates unity. Look, it starts off, let us, that's unity, Therefore, as many as be perfect, that does not mean sinless, that means complete or mature. It means that as you grow older in Christ, grow up in Christ. Many people grow old, but they don't grow up in Christ. So it is a, it is a command for maturity. Be thus minded. Now watch it carefully. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded... God shall reveal it, even this to you. In other words, if you get crossways, God's going to show you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. There's unity. Walk by the same rule and let us mind the same 
thing. So Paul illustrates what their unity should look like. Yes, we come from all cultures and backgrounds, from all walks of life. But what are we striving for? We're striving for the faith of the gospel. We have to keep that in the center. And here we are, sinners, trying to keep the gospel in the center. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes we can become selfish. See it just our way. So Paul is commending this church. Now, Paul loved them enough that there were two that were not like-minded. I want you to turn to chapter 4. I want to point them out to you. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. I beseech Eodius and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So he calls out two women by their first names and says, you know, they're fussing about something. And they they need to learn to get together and have the same mind so so they will not spoil their friendship or spoil the unity of this church. Now, I don't know how you would feel about this, but when we get to heaven, we'll be able to meet these two ladies. How would you like to go down in holy writ with your name saying you weren't in unity and you got rebuked? Pretty strong, isn't it? Paul loved these people enough to call them out because he cared, because he saw the potential. I personally believe that that the Philippian church was Paul's heart of his ministry. You can't read this book and not see that. So therefore, unity, now watch this very carefully. Unity is the foundational truth that allows us to have joy. No unity, no joy. No unity, no love of the brethren. No unity, no sacrifice to give to the cause of the gospel. No striving for the faith of the gospel. Because we all get turned into ourself. And so God has awakened us in these four stations of scripture to the importance of unity. For without it, you can't love, you can't have joy, you can't, you can't be in a mission program. It disturbs everything. So we're grateful that Paul... Brings us to our text now, where we will be able to see how God performs miracles in the life of the members of a New Testament church, and that's individually, and collectively as a church family when it comes to every need that we have. So let's read about it beginning in chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Notice what it says. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now the word communicate doesn't mean that they send him an email or even a letter. This word communicate is a financial term. Now how do we know that? We know that because verse 15 tells us in the context. Look at it carefully. Now ye Philippians... Know also that in the beginning of the gospel, he was referring to 12 years ago, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated, there's that same financial term, with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You are my only supporting church. Keep in mind, he's writing from prison 12 years after he was there, even after his, on his third trip, he went back to Philippi. And then notice in verse 16, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all. Well, this doesn't sound like someone writing from a, a Roman dungeon, cold, Shivering, chained, his four limbs chained to another Roman guard. 
And every four hours, those four guards are changed out. But he says, but I have all in abound. I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things, and I want to underscore that, put that in your mind. We'll come back to it. The things which were sent from you. So there's, there was more than one thing sent. There were things sent. An odor of a sweet smell. A sacrifice acceptable. Well-pleasing to God. This was the first century, folks. This is the first century. And there were poor people all over the known world at that time. Paul had already taken an offering to the poor saints, suffering saints of Jerusalem. First century Christianity is nothing like 21st century Christianity. Nothing at all. Completely different. And then notice what he says. Here's the promise. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Father, help us as we look at this paragraph of Scripture. Open our hearts and minds. Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate us to truth. And without doubt, Lord, today and this week as we turn the spotlight on missions, hearts will be exercised well in this church. We have prayed for this meeting. We've asked, Lord, that you use us in a great way to encourage Pastor and Kelly, their family, and the entire church family. So I pray, Lord, that every night will be a key night in the history of Berean Baptist Church. And I pray, dear Lord, that these days together will cause us to look at Scripture in such a way that will hold us accountable, that we would be willing to believe the promises and to obey its commands. And then, Lord, if there be someone here that does not know you as Savior, they will hear the gospel. They will have opportunity to say yes. And we certainly pray that they would have the courage to do so. And then for all of us who are believers, we all stand in need today. We could, we could take a tablet and pass it around and the needs would fill up the pages of it. And so Lord, help us to be literalist today as we open up the word of God. May our hearts be open. May our minds be open. And before it's over with, may our hands be open as we learn about the sacrificial giving to missions this week. Speak to hearts. And most of all, Lord, we're greatly concerned that there are fewer and fewer people surrendering to missions to be thrust into the harvest fields around the world. And I pray, dear Lord, if there be some family here, some young person, that perhaps, Lord, you would touch their lives. And it may mean change of sorts. But Lord, how wonderful it would be if out of Berean Baptist Church you would raise up someone from this conference to say, here am I, Lord, send me. So speak to young men and ladies and young families. And perhaps, Lord, their greatest need would be the willingness to surrender as we look at this passage of scripture and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. When the members of a local church decide collectively and individually to support a missionary financially, the missionary's need is met and the church member and the church positions themselves to have their every need met. I say that on the authority of the text that I've read to you. I would have no authority to say that on my own. But I can say it on the authority of the text. And I want us to look at the text. And there's obviously 
in my estimation, four infallible truths and proofs that support this promise. And if we can allow this promise in Scripture to be supported by Scripture, we have no recourse except to believe the Bible and to allow the Bible to change our life, to allow God's Word to change our thinking, perhaps about our money, perhaps about our position, perhaps about our children who may want to go to the mission field. How would that set with Grandma and Grandpa? A lot of things we'll find in this passage and throughout the week that God is certainly working in his people. He has not stopped. God is not discouraged about missions. He has not stopped. And he wants to work. And he gives us a tremendous incentive, a tremendous promise, if only we will truly believe it. So let's work our way back through this passage and let me show you these four infallible proofs that I can see in here and I trust that you'll see them with me this morning. Back in verses 14 and 15, we see the commendation for their giving. Paul commends them for their giving. Now he does this in a couple of ways. First of all, Paul remembers them. He has memories of of the Philippian gifts that they gave to him. Notice how it starts. A word that we do not use in our English language today in the 21st century. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. The word notwithstanding shows that these people were selfless. Remember, they were in unity. They loved each other. They were striving for the faith of the gospel. They had joy in their heart. Yes, they lived in the 21st century, and yes, there was persecution, but God got them beyond that. And this word notwithstanding simply means that they did not consider their own circumstances or their own needs. Notwithstanding, you have well done. You didn't consider yourself. You went beyond yourself. And you saw my need. And you sent things that helped me while I'm in prison, waiting to be a martyr for the cause of Christ. And Paul commended them for their selfless act. Now, The second thing I want you to see, not only were they selfless in this matter of his memories, but they were settled in this matter of giving. Notice what it says in the B part of verse 14, that ye did communicate. That's that financial term. And it goes, it's, it's two words in the Greek language, but it's one word in our English language. And it means to be unified, communion. It means to be unified. Now watch this. For the purpose of giving, for the purpose of sharing, for the purpose of sacrificing my things to those in need. They communicated that way. So they were unified and they were sharing. They were settled in this matter of giving. Do you know what giving to missions will do? First of all, it will develop a close relationship that is established between two people groups, the missionary and the mission-minded church. It establishes a relationship. They are now partnering together. Another thing that giving to missions will do is that it forges that partnership. In other words, in the forging process, The missionary is sustained with his need being met as the church exercises the Great Commission. And then the Lord opens up the windows of heaven to a local church and says, because you're willing to give selflessly and that you're settled in this matter, you've proven yourself, then I want you to know that this partnership that will be forge will be one that you will enjoy for all eternity. All eternity. The third thing that missions giving will do 
is that it will seal that relationship which makes every person a co-participant. You become part of the missionary team. You become a co-partner with the missionary. As you strive for the faith of the gospel. So as you give to missionaries, you become fellow partners. Paul spoke about fellow laborers, fellow soldiers. Over and over and over, he would give names. He's my fellow soldier. Receive him. And so the gifts of the Philippians taken to Paul by the hand of Epaphroditus encouraged Paul. It reminded him of their unfeigned love that they had for him. Their unwavering concern for him. For the sake of the gospel. For he invested his life and came to Philippi 12 years ago and gave them the gospel. And the third thing is they were sensitive to Paul's need. With my affliction. This word affliction goes beyond just his physical afflictions, and we know, we know that he had them. But it went to those burdens that he carried. Where's Titus? Where's he at? I don't know where he's at. I wonder, what, has, has something happened to him? You know how you would get when you call your wife's cell phone and she doesn't answer, and she's grocery shopping? And, and, and if you're not careful, you t- the third time, she still doesn't answer. The fourth time, you've already, you start building your mind. Oh, my goodness, they must have had an accident. I mean, oh, what's that going on? They didn't have any of that privilege. And Paul carried tremendous burdens for people, love for his missionary teams, people in churches. So he had specific memories. All those has to do with his specific memories. But notice their sacrificial monetary gifts in verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that's after his first missionary journey 12 years ago, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So we see, obviously, without going into any detail, it's really simple. This church was so in unity that they gave to Paul's need the things that he needed. And Paul is simply saying in these first two verses, I commend you for your giving. But see with me in verse 16, a second great truth. And that is the consistency of their giving. Paul draws this to their attention and to ours this morning. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Do you remember what happened in Thessalonica? You remember when he got there, he began to preach. And the religious leaders who hated him falsely accused them, took them to the Sanhedrin, and said, these are the people who who have turned the world upside down. And they wanted to destroy Paul. If it wasn't for Jason who received Paul and his missionary team. And there was an injunction against Jason that if you don't release them, we're going to kill you. But when you look at it, when Paul needed it the most, God brought in from the Philippian church his need. The consistency of their giving. You see, when we look at it from this perspective, as you faithfully give to your missionaries, you help meet his need or her need, and you open the door of God's blessings to meet the need of your life and the life of your church. I call this, now I'm simple, you know, you put my brain in a thimble, I said that for, for a long time, and now I'm convinced you put it in a thimble that rolled around like a BB. So I, I like simple stuff. This is a win-win situation. Everybody wins. The joyous, loving, giving, sacrificially giving church member, their need's going to be met. 
What need do you have? What did you take to bed with you yesterday? What are you praying for the most? And it's probably not something financial. It's probably something very personal and dear to your heart. It's a win-win situation. Would you see with me thirdly the calculation of their giving? Now this is very important. It's seen in verses 17 and 18. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. First of all, will you notice with me that Paul was not covetous of their monetary support? He made it very clear. It's not that I desire a gift. He already said, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus. He even told him not to give anymore. Secondly, I want you to see that Paul was careful to teach the principle of missionary giving. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And the word desire there is the word translated in our Bibles often, lust, consumed with lust, craving, a seeking after. So he says, I want fruit to abound to your account. You see, these are financial terms. And Paul used them, and listen, this place, filled full of business opportunities, they understood exactly what Paul was saying. They understood these terms very completely. So what does it mean to have fruit that may abound to your account? Well, let me put it down in the trough for us. I'll make a statement, one statement at a time. Fruit is an eternal dividend or a soul that was won by the missionary that's been added to the heavenly account of the faithful givers in the church at Philippi who prayed for and loved their missionary and showed it by communicating or giving to Paul the things that he needed. These givers and their church would reap the eternal dividends while today they will have their every need met. This is, this is a simple financial truth that God honors the first fruits. He honors sacrifice. So the application is this. This fruit that may abound to your account will be the souls you will meet in glory that were won to Christ by the missionaries you supported prayerfully and financially through your local church. I was listening to Dr. Bob Jones Sr. preach and he was preaching from this passage of scripture and here's what he said and I'll give a quote for Dr. Bob Jones Sr. He said in his old southern voice, this is what I call clipping eternal dividends. Eternal dividends. So we will meet people, our missionaries, that we give, have given our money for, we will meet them in glory. We'll be able to fellowship with them. It will be fruit to our account. Now, every now and then, God allows a piece of fruit to fall in your lap here on earth. Let me share with you how this happens. Several years ago, I was in India preaching. Dolly and I have had the privilege of being in 19 countries on five continents over these years. And I was in India, and I preached for a national pastor, G.S. Nair down in Kerala State, down in the southern tip of India. I preached for him, preached in his chapel, and then he was taking me to the airport where I was catching a, a plane to go back to Agra, where I would meet another national missionary. And so we got in the car, and I said to him, Brother Nair, he was celebrating his 20th anniversary that year. I said, Brother Nair, tell me your story. And he says, well, I was being groomed as an officer in the Indian Army. My dad was an officer. And I was being groomed, and I got malaria. And the only place that treated malaria in our country at that time 
was far in the north uh, at a military hospital. And he said, I was receiving treatments from an American physician who had surrendered to missions and was coming to India to specifically treat malaria patients. And he would witness to me. And he would say, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. He says, why should I trust your God? You have one God can't even see him. I got 3,000 gods and I can see all my gods. But the physician continued to witness to him. And before he left, G.S. Nyer received Christ as his Savior because the American missionary saved his life. And I asked him, I said, who's the American medical doctor that treated you? And he said, his name is Dr. Quentin Knoyer. And I began to weep. For you see, our church in Ohio began supporting Dr. Knoyer years ago. And in the late 50s, asked our church if they would send money for an air conditioner for he's treating patients with malaria. And if they don't have an air conditioned room, I have no hope in, in helping them. And our church took up a special offering and sent it to Dr. Quentin Knoyer. And as, as, as I begin to put all this together, I'm sitting in the car a third of the way around the world with a man who got saved, got called to preach, and was celebrating his 20th anniversary. And he's telling me about the missionary we support. And that's a little piece of fruit dropping in your lap on this planet. Just a little bit. I said, when is the last time you saw Dr. Conoria? He says, it's been years, well over 20. So I made arrangements for him to come to America. And I called Dr. Conoria. And I didn't tell either one of them. I didn't tell G.S. Nyer. I didn't tell Dr. Conorier. I said, hey, <clears throat> I want you to be at the church and preach. Told Dr. Conorier the same thing. And that day in our church in Ohio, Dr. Quentin Conorier and G.S. Nyer met for the first time in years and fell into each other's arms. And he thanked him. He thanked him for staying after him, witnessing. And I, I tell you, it so stirred our church our missions giving went off the chart that year. It moved us because we saw it. And that brings me to the final thought. And that is the covenant for their giving. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, God is the supplier. I like what Barnes had to say about this. You have shown your regard. Here's what he's saying that Paul is saying here. You have shown your regard for me as a friend of God by sending to me these things in my distress. And I have confidence that in return for all this, God will supply all your need when you are in consequences of necessity, end quote. And I agree with Barnes. And we sit here together in great need. Personally and collectively. God is the supplier. He's the one that will supply. And the supplies will be exactly what you need. And the source will be out of his riches. <laughs> There's no end to his riches. Out of his riches. And by his glory. The abundant fullness of God. That's why... No gift is too small. No gift is too large. It's not the gift. The, the, the focus is not on the gift. It's on the fruit of the gift. And when we get that, then we will not give one dollar to missions begrudgingly. We'll gladly give it. And we'll give it for the splendor of it all. Look at verse 20. Now unto God... And our Father be glory. Paul says, this is not for me. This is for God. There's a song written many years ago by Charles Luther. And the words go like this. 
O ye saints, arouse, be earnest. Up and work while yet tis day. Ere the night of death o'ertake thee. Strive for souls while still you may. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? No one, no one should go empty-handed. And you have a great part in world evangelism already. And I commend you for it. And I trust that as God moves in your heart, and God unifies Berean and bring, brings great joy. I tell you, my heart was thrilled. I was greeted by all the greeters back there in the back. Uh, they knew my name and I didn't know theirs. I, I could remember their faces from the last time I was here, uh, but I could not remember their names. And I had to ask you, some of you, about your names. But, but I saw unity. I saw joy. I commend you for that. I honestly believe that the success of this church will hinge on your desire for missions. Not that I desire a gift. Dolly and I aren't even raising personal support. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. That one day when you get to heaven, you'll meet some of these very people that Paul led to the Lord. And you'll meet people that you're missionaries. If you take on Brother Nick, you'll, you'll meet people from Nepal. Nepal's a hard country, folks. I've been to its border. He's got courage to cross over and go in. I didn't. And all the missionaries you're presently supporting will have all eternity to see them, to meet them, and you'll not have one regret of the sacrifice that you make. Would you stand with me, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Pastor's coming. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, He died for you. He took your sins in His own body on the tree. And if you're not saved, I, I beg you to come. Boy, it'd be hard to die and go to hell after a service like this when you hear the heart of God is telling the gospel, striving for the gospel. Please come, let us help you. And dear friend, if God has revealed to you your greatest need in your life, would you be willing to claim this promise for the glory of God and let God meet that need? Pastor, come and 